In today's parable, our Lord tells us this story about a king who put on a wedding reception, you could say, for his son. The king invited a whole bunch of people. He had a long invite list, but everybody on that original invite list, on two occasions, refused to come to the party. So then the king tells his servants, go out into the main roads and invite everyone and anyone whom you find. Now this is an unthinkable thing. The king was supposed to simply invite those of the upper crust of society, you know, the aristocrats and the nobles. But the king goes way beyond that. He invites in everyone, meaning all sorts of people who would normally never receive an invite to a royal wedding show up at this wonderful royal wedding reception. In this king's generosity, in his liberal dispensation of these invitations, I think we can see something of the generosity of God and the goodness of God, who invites all of us, every one of us, again and again and again, to live a life of grace, which is to say to live a life of friendship with Jesus Christ. Even when we are lost in sin, God does not give up on us. He comes after us. He desires to draw us back into the church, to draw us back into the body of Christ. God continues to invite us to enter into the body of Christ, into the church, in a deeper and deeper way. And this happens in a personal way. It's really remarkable for us to think about how God actually cares about each and every one of us, how God actually loves each and every one of us, even when we feel unlovable. I think so oftentimes we take for granted the infinite love of God, and not just the infinite love of God for all of humanity, but the infinite love of God for you and for me. This is something that should never cease to fill us with awe and wonder and amazement. God is so good that he invites us day after day to live a life of friendship with Jesus Christ. God has no need of our friendship, and yet he invites us anyway, because it's in being friends with us, it is in us receiving his divine life, ultimately that we find salvation. So in this life, God is so good that he keeps on offering us his grace. But really the fullness of God's goodness will only be seen in the life to come, in the vision of God in heaven. In the first reading today, Isaiah talks about God's holy mountain. And it's on this holy mountain, Isaiah tells us, where God will provide for all of our needs. It's very clear that this holy mountain that Isaiah speaks about is a foreshadowing of heaven itself. Isaiah uses all sorts of wonderful language to describe just how awesome this feast in heaven will be. He talks about how in heaven the Lord will provide a feast of rich food and choice wines, juicy rich food and pure choice wines. We hear that and we are just drawn to it. At least I am. Naturally, we want to go to that feast and enjoy these juicy foods and these wonderful vintages of wine. All this imagery is meant to elicit within us a desire to be with God forever 
in eternal glory in heaven. Now, historically, it's most likely that when Isaiah was writing about this, he was referring to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It was there where the temple was built. It was there where the people could offer right worship to God. We hear about Jerusalem these days, and naturally we think about the horrible war with Hamas and Israel that is now raging. Many thousands have already been killed. Many have been displaced. It's a horrible, horrible thing. We certainly should pray for all of those affected, all of those suffering because of this conflict. Throughout most of our lives, well, I would say just for about every single one of us in church today, all we have ever known is conflict between Israel and Palestine. It's so very sad. The best diplomats in the entire world have tried to resolve this, but they have been unable. So clearly there are no easy solutions to this. But when we look at the church's teaching on war and peace, one thing that we can glean from it is how peace is not simply the absence of fighting, but rather peace is something good and something positive. Peace obtains when humanity is rightly ordered to God. And for that to happen, you and I need to assume the task of trying to order our lives rightly to God today. Insofar as we all do that, then we in fact do help bring about peace. For peace is something wonderful and beautiful, and peace is never just a good contract between two different human parties. Peace always is a gift that comes down from above. It is a gift from God, and that gift requires our response. So back to Isaiah's holy mountain though, this historically may have been a reference to Jerusalem, but we see how it must be much more than that as well. Because on this holy mountain, there can be no war and violence and cruelty. On this holy mountain, the Lord provides for all people. On this holy mountain, there will be perfect peace. And so we can see how this foreshadowing in Isaiah is meant to point us to the goodness of God in heaven, where there will be no more war and no more suffering and no more tears where we will finally see God's plan and understand it, where the deepest desires of our hearts, which in this life are always unsatisfied, will finally be fulfilled, where we will see God face to face forever. That is how good God is, that he calls us into the heavenly city of Jerusalem, that he calls us to share in that rich, wonderful banquet that is eternal life. So God is so good that during our lives, he offers us all of these graces to draw us into deeper friendship. And if we respond well, then he offers us something amazing in heaven. I realize that all this uh, talk about the goodness of God might not resonate with you right now. It's very likely that you're going through a very hard time in life. Maybe you are suffering very intensely, more than you've ever suffered before. And so at those moments, it might be hard to believe in the goodness of God. But if the crucifix of Jesus Christ teaches us anything, it's that God is not indifferent to that suffering. God is not indifferent to that pain. Rather, he has entered deeply into it, and he has brought divine love. And it is in that love that we find our salvation. For this extraordinary gift of God, we all need to be thankful. When we teach little children how to pray, we usually first teach them how to give thanks to God. 
And I think it's so sad that as we grow up, a lot of times adults think, think that we need to move beyond those prayers of thanksgiving. But prayers of thanksgiving to God, coming from a truly grateful heart, are some of the most necessary and most wonderful prayers that we can offer. So each and every single day, every one of us must challenge ourselves to truly work up a spirit of gratitude within our hearts and give thanks to God, for he truly is good. If we are going to be generous in our lives, we first must recognize the generosity and goodness of God. If we fail to be generous, it's probably because we're failing to recognize that God is good and generous to us. So if we want to give freely, as Christ gave everything on the cross, then we need to first recognize how much God has given to us. Living a life of generosity always flows from belief in the generosity of God. Every fall, we ask our parishioners to take stock of how God has been good to them and how they have given back to God. Now, in my brief time here, I've witnessed so many of you serve the Lord in such wonderful and selfless ways. I see you serving generously in the community. I see you reaching out to your fellow parishioners who are going through a hard time or who are in need. I see you sacrifice each and every day for your families. I see you sacrifice your time by coming here to church to give God a lot of time in prayer or by coming to daily mass. I see people volunteering at the parish every single day. And so people will clearly want to give back to God at this parish. Of course, as you know though, we also need financial generosity. Uh, from the day school to Catholic formation, from administering the sacraments to caring for those in need, from building maintenance, which is, seems to be never-ending, to outreach, between paying for resources and salaries, we rely upon your financial generosity. So this week in the mail, you will receive a brochure from the parish. And in that brochure, you'll find many of the statistics that come from our parish. You'll also find a brief letter from me. And then beneath that letter, you're gonna see a little bar graph showing some recent trends in tithing. So you can get a sense of where we are right now with tithing. In that bar graph, you'll see that 2020 was an extraordinarily good year for St. Francis Cabrini with tithing. We received, you gave, uh, $1.43 million. So that was a lot. The next year, we were down a little bit to 1.39. Uh, 2022 was down a little more to 1.29. Uh, this year is tracking pretty well, but we're still definitely below that 2020 peak. Uh, as you know uh, from your life at home, uh, expenses continue to increase as prices continue to increase. And so for this coming year, 2024, we really need to get back at least to that 2020 level of tithing. To help us do this, we are providing a suggested pledge on your personal pledge card that you will receive in the mail. Maybe you can reach it, uh, maybe you cannot. Uh, please just do what you can. Uh, as our Haiti friends are quick to remind us, the Lord will provide, and I do believe that he will provide for all of us at St. Francis Cabrini as well. So this week, do please take some time to consider how God has been generous with you. Please take some time to ask God how he is calling you to give back, especially financially to the parish. And then if you could please complete that pledge card and bring it to Mass next week, 
I'd be very, very grateful. So thank you for your generosity. In advance, know of my daily prayers for you.